team of scientists at the Lash Center would prove invaluable in my quest. But I was also aware that to fully tell the Hunley story, I would need to reconnoiter the entire paper trail of this artifact of America's 19th century technological sublime. For reasons of provenance, accuracy, and richness of detail, historians prefer to work with primary source documents. The work of narrative history thrives best when propelled by writings, visual depictions, and other documents created amid, or by people participating in or witness to, the events the author seeks to recall. While writing this book, I became doubly committed to that preference. Early in my research, I realized that the Hunley story over the years had become encrusted with the barnacles of accumulated lore. For that reason, I resolved as much as possible to take the Hunley story back to its primary sources. In creating this narrative and in my presentation of certain events, trends, places, and people, those not central to the story, I would draw upon sound secondary sources and my own insights as a historian, but when presenting facts and details immediately pertinent to the saga of the Hunley and its two predecessor boats, I required those assertions to be supported by primary sources. In cases where I could find no such support, those facts and details, regardless of the frequency of their repetition in other publications, were to be unceremoniously cast overboard. In exceptional cases, when I believed a reason existed to admit into the narrative an unconfirmed fact, I would alert the reader to its questionable pedigree or otherwise flag my own speculative gambit. But that resolve also brought challenges. There were obstacles created by the fact that none of the principles involved in the development of the Hunley and its two predecessor submarine craft left behind a diary, or even a diary fragment, of the months of their association with those boats. Indeed, of the principals who animate this story, none had an on-the-scene involvement with the submarine boat project that ran the Enterprise's entire New Orleans to Mobile to Charleston course. And even if one of them had maintained such an involvement, the chances are remote that he would have penned a diary. The exigencies of war, the ever-shifting locales of the boat sponsors, and the unique need for secrecy dictated by the nature of their enterprise, rendered the keeping of such diaries, or for that matter any other paper records, problematic. And that absence of written documents also hindered research on other fronts, including questions concerning who exactly first conceived the idea of the submarine boat project, the financing of the enterprise, and the precise roles of each of the project's principal members. Past chroniclers have sometimes accorded Horace Hunley sole credit as the originator and even the inventor of the vessel, that became the first submarine boat in world history to sink an enemy ship. It was his name, after all, that the craft carried during its moment of triumph. Even so, the H.L. Hunley was not that vessel's original name, and the fact that it came to bear Horace Hunley's name ultimately serves less to identify the individual who conceived the idea of building the craft, or the boat's inventor, than to commemorate a particular turn in the vessel's tortured history. Based on his background in contemporary documents, it seems clear that James McClintock, among the project's three original partners, was the principal designer for all three boats. But as to who initiated the project, in their letters in so many words, both McClintock and the project's third original partner, Baxter Watson, each laid claim to having performed that role. Curiously, alone among the boat's original three principals, only Horace Hunley, in his letters, seems to have made no allusion to the matter of who initiated the project or who designed the boats. To be sure, communications to and from some of this story's principles do exist, but they are hardly plentiful, and of those letters that do exist, few present the entire context of their composition.
Rarely do we have the second-party communication that prompted or resulted from any given letter. Thus those letters that do exist often raise as many questions as they answer. Happily, however, as I dived deeper into the submarine boat's archives, I discovered, the aforementioned challenges notwithstanding, that a rich array of primary source documents does exist for telling what I soon found to be a ceaselessly compelling story, albeit one quite different, teeming with more ironies and nuances, than the one I had expected. Ultimately, I examined a king's ransom of documents, and for a comprehensive list of the materials that went into the writing of this book, the reader should consult this work's bibliography. However, in this brief essay, in order to put my archival cards on the table, but also to guide future researchers, I'd like to highlight some of the richer treasures that I excavated. In the process, I also hope to convey a sense of the diverse range of primary source materials that are available for studies of the Hunley.